Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mikado, the podcast where we keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oil seed and fibre markets. My name's Olivia Agar. Thanks for listening into episode 241. Australian cattle prices have spent much of the last couple of years well above the value of cattle in any other key exporting country like the US or Brazil, and we knew this couldn't last forever. While Australian prices did go over the cliff last November and have spent much of the time through till about May declining, in the US, cattle prices have been doing the complete opposite, surging to new record levels to take the title of Australia of the most expensive cattle. Now, today's episode, Mercado's Robert Herman and Ethan Woolley are discussing the dynamics of the US market and what it means for Australia. Before we get into it, though, here's a few things we think you should know from the markets this week. And the headline story, of course, is from the Black Sea. The Ukrainian port of Odessa has been under almost continuous airstrikes as the Russian army attempts to knock Ukrainian exports out of the equation. The Danube River was one of the key targets which Ukraine was using to export around 2 to 3 million metric tonnes per month. Understandably, this has caused a lot of volatility in the wheat market, but much of the rally earlier in the week is now retraced. So while the risk remains high, the market seems to think that a solution can be found to export grains through this region. Not a whole lot of movement in the cattle market this week as it waits for more direction, but it was another bad one for the lamb and sheep market, with a lift in supply setting prices to new lows for the year across most categories. Hearing from some processors this week, they're really seeing the impact of weak consumer demand in export and domestic markets on meat sales, and that's a driver unlikely to shift overnight. On that note, I'll hand over to Ethan and Rob for today's episode. Uh, thanks, Liv, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Commodity Conversations. Uh, Mercado's regularly looking at the U.S. cattle market for direction, and uh, recently our analysts, uh, Angus Brown and Jamie Lee Oldfield, they've been looking at the U.S. So today we wanted to spend a bit more time diving into what our what is happening with our friends in the U.S. and the impact on our cattle markets here. And uh, who better to speak with than our very own Rob Herman, who's just returned from the American Midwest. Very warm welcome back, Rob. And uh, how was your trip, first of all? It was great. And um, the warm welcome is well re- well received, Ethan, because uh, I came back to Ballarat and I noted in the car, uh, the car temperature, ga- or the outside temperature gauge dropped to three degrees on the way back. And uh, so anything that's a bit warm uh, will be welcome here in Ballarat. But we had a great trip and um, we were very fortunate to um, catch up with uh, some producers and uh, you know we've spoken to them and you've heard them on commodity conversations but we also visited uh, some cattle markets and uh, and that was a bit of an eye-opener I can tell you. And eye-opening I guess would be the prices um, especially when you compare them with what's happening in Australia at the moment. What in particular about the US prices caught your eye? Well um it was the prices, although uh, I've got to say, if anyone gets a chance to go to a, a sale barn in the US, um, they will be fascinated. You can sit there for ages just watching and listening um, as as the cattle come through and, and are sold in pen in uh, through the ring, actually, Ethan, which is something we don't do very much of here. Um, and they sell them in um, ones, twos, threes, fours, fives. 
Um, and and of course, you everybody knows the the auctioneer banter, and uh, you know the Canadians and the U.S. auctioneers are famous for that. So that's fascinating. But to prices, um, look, it's uh, it's extraordinary. We I sat in the ring, and um, but I'm doing the calculations, and you're seeing 360 kilogram steers, 380 kilogram steers coming through and making two thousand uh, dollars per head. Uh, and that's US dollars, you know, which is which is just um, extraordinary prices. And we spoke to some people there who were saying this is the best cattle prices we've seen in 15 years. In terms of those good times that they're, that they're having, uh, we've heard from the news and we've read from a lot of the reports in the industry that the, the herd is approaching a rebuild and there's been talk of drought. So is there mm. a sense that these are these are the good old days and they're about to turn or is there optimism in the US that they can sort of keep tracking at these levels into the short term well um that's a very good question ethan um and uh always always careful about saying when things are good that they will stay good i was actually reminded at a conference yesterday that uh it was only about a year ago when i said at a comp- at another conference that I thought sheep prices would be good. So uh, I'm very cautious about predicting things now. I think um, the point you make about um, the US cattle prices is that, and I noticed JS Ferrero, who we get their reports regularly, made a comment that, you know, pro- cattle prices surged in June. Um, in a three-week period, they were up $14 per hundredweight, which is equivalent to about at 45 cents a kilogram live weight. Now, this is at a time when our prices are going in the opposite direction. So the um, the fact that they're historically really good um, is, is, a you know, is, is a bit of a conundrum when you think about what's happening here in Australia. But there, and, and also you mentioned about the herd possible rebuild over there, Ethan. Um, they haven't stopped... Um, their herd hasn't stopped declining yet. So the the rebuild hasn't started. And I noticed that uh, Jamie Lee in her article, uh, I think it was last week, um, noted that the um, the female slaughter rate over in the US is is still running at about 52% and, and it needs to come back to 47% before even, a, you know, the herd stops declining. And uh, I, I spoke to Art Butler um, in uh, up in Idaho and... Um, he made the note that uh, the um, placements on f- in feedlots are still getting a lot of heifers coming through. And I think the reason for that, if we look back to our situation here a bit at times, the reason for that is that um, the prices being offered are so attractive to cattle ranchers over there that they start to look at, you know, any females that they don't absolutely require for their, for their long-term herd rebuild um get sold off still um so what it means is that the herd, the female herd and the us herd in general is still declining so it hasn't started to rebuild and we we know that that's going to be some sort of significant impact for our prices here when it does happen and and that's a very important point that there will be impacts on our prices when that does come into fruition um and we know what's currently driving prices here in australia with the supply pressure um in terms of these us prices what other i guess drivers are there for keeping the prices up as high as they have been the good thing is that um the underlying demand for beef you know just seems to be pretty good 
you know, if we've got, I noticed that um, I think it was Steiner reported that, you know, they're expecting that US beef production year on year is still going to be up a little bit. So even though you've got strong US production uh, as they and and as they chew into their herd, um, demand seems to be really good. The other thing to note here, I think, is that um, you know prices do get out of whack. You know, we 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 look at these markets, the US markets, and especially because they are a big customer of ours, of our beef, but they're also competing the same prime markets that we're trying to compete in. You know, China, Korea, the US, etc., uh, uh, Japan, and. Um, because they're they're a, a you know they're a close relator of, of our prices, we we would expect them to run um, together for some you know generally they would be running together. Now at the moment, clearly you know we're in, on a different planet for prices, and uh, if you look at the year on year price, Ethan, um, you know I think our prices are down. The Eastern Young Cattle Indicator is down thirty eight percent or something in that in that order year on year. Whereas U.S. cattle prices um, are up twenty five percent, and and you would say, well, hang on, that doesn't make any sense if we're competing in the same market. But when you get those local uh, impacts of supply, um, these things can happen. And we actually had evidence of that in our drought rebuild. And if you remember, we we would be quoting in our articles, the Mercado article, saying that you know Australian beef was some of the dearest beef in the world, and it was because we had that. Um, strong internal demand factor of, of people wanting to um, either buy cattle to rebuild their herd or are holding supply back um, to rebuild the herd and all that conspired to make our prices very dear. I, I note, uh, and Jamie Lee was made the point in her article, Ethan, that um, we're now the closest to Argentina and Brazil prices than as we've ever been. So Australian prices have gone from being some of the dearest in the world to some of the cheapest in the world, and uh, and I guess you know that's it's not it's not a lot of joy when you're selling um, livestock, but um, it does mean that we've got some. Um, I think Angus made the point that we really should have a strong base under our prices at these levels because we're very competitive on world markets at the moment. And competitiveness on the world markets will be important for Australian producers currently with the supply situation we're going through. Um, and a lot of what, what you mentioned there can be interpreted as potential opportunity for Australia into the future. What are some of the um, the other signals you're seeing, whether it be pricing, demand, trade, that are going to be beneficial or an opportunity for the Australian market? Yeah, well, I think we've been talking for a long time about the, you know, if you look at the really big picture, Ethan, it's that the growth in um, in the um, Asian population, you know, that population very close to us, the growth in in their wealth is is still a strong underpinner of of demand. Um, we know that um, you know as people get some more money in their pockets. Uh, these these countries like China and India and Vietnam and uh, etc uh, are getting more consumers looking to add meat to their diet. So that's that is an underlying driver that will continue to underpin uh, red meat demand, you know, for many many years. 
Um, the the confusing part to for some people, I guess, is that you then say, well, hang on, why are we got why have we got the situation in red meat markets here at the moment where our prices have just collapsed, and and there will be uh, you know short term issues that drive that, and and I think it, it's been the point's been well made um, by um, the Mercado analyst to say that. Uh, you know, it is a it's an issue of supply. So we've got the the problem of uh, increased supply as a result of our very strong herd rebuild. And again, that goes back if you remember our our female slaughter rate, you know, is very low. So we're still keeping females and growing the herd. But those females that are kept back on the farm, you know, two from two years ago, uh, are now producing extra beef, which is coming into the market at a time when. We're still struggling to build the capacity in our processes um, post COVID, so that's all been um, documented and talked about. I think also, if another indicator, and these things seem to line up a bit, was that while we were the um, had some of the dearest beef in the world, we also had, um, you know, the ninety CL price was running at a um, uh, a low a low level compared to our Eastern Young Cattle indicator when we were rebuilding the herd, and and now we've seen that flip. So now it's um, you know the ninety CL price is running ahead of the Eastern Young Cattle indicator, which is a another good indicator that um, you know the the beef price um, it, it will support um, our our market prices at these levels and allow the market prices to rise without beef becoming expensive. Beef becoming expensive, that's also, I guess, on the minds of the consumer. Um, and when that happens, there's a lot of substitution potentially towards cheaper proteins. Um, so in your experience in, in the US, what, what was happening there? I did do some very um, uh, sophisticated, in-depth research uh, in New York, uh, Ethan, and, and went and bought a steak, a couple of steaks, actually. Um and uh, I can tell you that I've never paid more for a steak in my life. We went to a, a steak restaurant called Gallagher's, which uh, for anyone who's been to New York will know that it's quite famous for its steaks. Um, I've got to tell you, it was one of the mo- one of the most um, tasty steaks I've ever had. However, um, you've got to pay up for it. And, you know, those sort of places, you know, when you talk to people there, they say, oh, look, we're, we're just run off our feet at the moment. Um, you know, you, you've got to book well ahead to get into these places. So, you know, anecdotally, you would say that um, there is still a, uh, you know, red meat is well positioned as a um, as a high quality product, um, which will support the market. And, and we know that into the US, we've also got this really strong um, hamburger market, which is why we talk about the 90C all the time. And uh, and I can tell you that <laughs> in the US, you know, I'd hate to think how many hamburgers are consumed every second over there. It's just uh, it's just massive. The steakhouse, did they know whether their steak was sourced from Australia, from exports? <laughs> or from uh, No. Um, and look, I think even if it was, they probably would have denied it. Um, <laughs> what, one of the things they're very parochially about in the US is um, homegrown. And, uh, you know, that's a little bit of a, so so Australian product is a little bit of a contentious issue. We we saw examples of very good lamb on supermarkets that I would suspect um, were either Australian or New Zealand lamb. You know, they were beautiful lamb packages, but there was no evidence on the packaging that they were um, uh, Australian or it didn't say where they came from, to be honest. And I suspect that means that um, 
you know, it's a negative to put up that, uh, you know, it's an imported product. Um, when we spoke to um, uh, Heather on on the on the sheep farm at Thermopolis, um, and we spoke to other people there about lamb, they, you know, they asked me the question to say, well, what's your view on, um, you know, on on truth in labelling, and uh, and you know, when you delved into that, the question was being asked because they wanted everything that was imported to be properly labelled so that they could um, brand their product as, as local homegrown product. And, and that's reasonable. I thought, um, uh, you know, I think I think that's a good thing. I think truth in labelling means that, uh, you know, if it's an imported product, people should know about it. But it also means if you're importing or, in our case, exporting to another country, then you're going to want to make sure that your quality is good because if it can be recognised as yours, you won't, you know, you need to be able to compete uh, and maintain your standards and qualities. So, um, so that might be a topic that we delve into a bit later. And and I know some of the people we met in the US are very keen to come out here and have a look around. Um, it's interesting that while we, you know, when you speak to farmers in the US or um, actually, if you've got in livestock over there, don't dare call them farmers. They're all ranchers. And uh, <laughs> I had to correct myself a couple of times there. But if you speak to ranchers in the US, they really don't have a lot of idea about how we farm, how we run our livestock, but they're very um, interested and, and very keen to sort of pick up on some ideas from here. Uh, how would you surmise the the opportunity at the moment for Australian cattle in the context of what's happening in the US? Yeah, look, I, I agree with Angus's summary uh, in saying that really we should, our prices should be well supported where we are now. Of course, and, and what that probably means is, um, I know it's always hard to, to get a handle on margins, but you would expect that processors are making very good margins right now. And I think that's a good thing because it's going to encourage them to to build their capacity as hard as they can. And we all know the constraints that are in place at the moment, but these beef prices and these uh, our local cattle prices should be encouraging them to do as much as they possibly can, which means that, you know, we should see demand uh, continue to grow for our beef, um, notwithstanding the, the challenges that processes have to get it through. So, Putting a timeline on it, it's it's difficult to see. You know, you just don't know how quickly this can happen. But I would say the incentive is right is there right now, Ethan, um, and and that should mean that you know if if the US goes into a herd rebuild phase, which they will for sure, um, and and the deep the deeper they cut into their female herd, the longer and stronger the rebuild will be, which means that there's less beef coming onto the market it may just coincide with the you know and help us with a period where our herd is back up to pre-drought levels and our, obviously our production given the seasons we're having um is pretty strong so all in all um you know being a bit counter cyclical in seasons to the u.s um, will stand us in good stead that's some very reassuring news to hear and uh again it's great to have you back rob and uh Looking forward to seeing your new Stetson hat when you come back into the office. But uh, again, <laughs> thanks for your time, Rob. And uh, yeah, thanks again for listening to Commodity Conversations. Terrific. Thanks, Ethan.